Good morning. Let me greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a blessing to be here with you. Uh, I know that you're expecting me to be on a, on a, on a sick bed and recovering. But, uh, you know, in God's providence, um, it, it did not go as we have planned. Um, you know, the heart plans... Uh, but the final answer is from the Lord. And so keep praying for, for us as we look forward to the 12th of December. Um, I see Brother Brilton. Um, he's uh, it's been away for quite some time because of work. And so it's good to, to see you. And, and also uh, our brother and sister Precious uh, at the back uh, there. So... Um, we are going to go into God's Word. We've been, um, for, for, this, uh, for the rest of this year, we will go through Psalms um, just to kind of, kind of recalibrate our hearts um, towards God and, and thinking about um, God's ways and even ourselves through um, the lens of the, the Psalms. So today we're going to go through um, Psalm 32. Psalm 32, my title for this morning is The Joy of forgiveness, the joy of forgiveness. Psalm 32, follow me as I read from God's word, reading from the ESV, verse 1 until verse 11. If you found it, this is what it says, a muscle of David, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer praise to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in the heart. And so this is... God's word for us this morning. Let us pray. Lord, indeed, we have come with open hearts. Our prayer is that you will impart your ancient words in us. Draw us to yourself as we look into your word. Convict us, O oh God, with your word. Call us to yourself. Correct us. Encourage us. For the sake of your name and your kingdom, May your name be lifted up, O God, as your word is preached, as your word is heard, 
and as your word is received. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in, in his classic series of, of messages on Psalm 73, says this. He says, the great value of the book of Psalms is that in it we have godly men stating their experience and giving us an account of things that have happened to them in their spiritual life and warfare. And I believe this morning that Psalm 32 is also such an account. Here in Psalm 32, we, we meet David, the, the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, who has experienced the forgiveness of God. This psalm is a sequel to Psalm 51, where David confesses his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and the murdering of her husband, Uriah. And in an attempt to, it was in an attempt to, to cover up his tracks when he, he did that. And after this sin, there was a long period of time before he, he was confronted and, and confessed his sin. We, we don't know how long it was, but it was more than nine months considering that there was a baby involved. So he covered his sin for more than nine months. Then he later confessed his sin after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan as recorded for us in Psalm 51. In Psalm 51 verse 13, he makes a promise to God saying this. He says, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. So what we have here in Psalm 32 is a fulfillment of that promise that he made. It is referred to as a masculine. The psalm is a, is a masculine, which, which means, it's a Hebrew word that means instruction. And here he relates his experiences of concealing sin and the consequences that followed um, God's, uh, to, to God's people. And uses that as a launching pad to call them to seek the Lord who deals graciously with sinners because the joy of forgiveness is life changing. So in Psalm 32 here, we, 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 we learn four lessons that motivate us to a life of repentance so that we can enjoy fellowship with God. Four lessons that motivate us to a life of repentance so that we can enjoy fellowship with God. First, the blessing of, of being forgiven. Secondly, the burden of unconfessed sin. Thirdly, the relief in confession. And fourthly, the call to God's people. Let us look at the first one. The blessing of being forgiven. The first lesson, the blessing of being forgiven. And we see this in verse 1 and 2. Look at what David says. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. We find David here in a state of pure joy. He is full of songs of praise and, and joy. He, he uses the word blessed to refer to his state. Uh, the, the, the word blessed is, is often translated happy in other Bible versions. It, it is a word that describes real joy and delight, the, the feeling of heavenly bliss or, or eternal joy. It, it even transcends the common idea of being happy. And we soon find out here when we dive into what David is saying, we soon find out why this is the case. Verse 1 and 2 shows us the reason for his blessed condition. He says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
The reason for his joy comes from the fact that God has forgiven his sin. And there is nothing, listen here, there is nothing joy-producing as the knowledge that your sin has been forgiven. I remember when I was young, the church that I used to attend, um, actually, my wife and I attended that church when we were, when we were very young, and we didn't know each other. Don't ask me how, but we didn't know each other, and we were attending that church. Um, our families were attending the church. So the church that we attended had a time where people stood up to give testimonies. And testimony after testimony, you would hear people testifying about how God has forgiven their sin. And after that, someone from the pew would erupt with a song as if to say to that person, Amen, I know what you're talking about. They would sing songs like, Oh, happy day when Jesus washed when Jesus washed my sins away. Or the more popular song that they used to sing, I am so glad that Jesus took my sins away. He took my sins away. And they sang the way they did because they understood the seriousness of sin. They understood as Habakkuk understood that God is of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. They understood with Ezekiel that the, the soul that sins must die. And they understood with Paul that the wages of sin is death. And so based on that understanding and the reality that God has forgiven their sin, they responded with great joy. They responded with great joy. So in the same way here, in order for us to understand the joy of David, we first need to understand his view of sin. We, we, we cannot rejoice as he rejoices unless we understand his theology of sin. To, to put it the other way is that proper theology gives birth to or produces proper worship. Note the words that he uses to describe his sin in, 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 in verses 1 and 2. He uses transgression. He uses sin and iniquity. He uses three words to describe his sin. The, the word transgression is a word that refers to open rebellion. This is not an accidental sin. It is not an accidental peccadillo or a failure to do what is right. It is, it is sinning willfully. Going into sin knowing full well that what you are doing is wrong. Again, he calls it sin. This is the common word for sin, which means to miss the mark or to miss the way. The, the mark being God's standard, the, 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 being the, the, God's standard in the law. So any act that does not measure up to the standard of God is referred to as sin, whether it is premeditated or done out of ignorance. Thirdly, he uses the word iniquity. This is a word that refers to a perversion, a, a distortion, a, an evil act, or a disrespect for God. He, he puts out his sin in all its nakedness, with no deceit in his spirit. He, acknowledged the, the, he acknowledges the reality of his sin without needing to deceive anyone. He stands before God and puts his sin out there. And don't miss, when you read in verse 1 and 2, 
again, as, uh, I would say that when you are a careful Bible reader, you will notice the passive voice in, in how he expresses the manner in which his sin was dealt with. The transgression was for, for, forgiven. The sin was covered. The iniquity is not counted against. It is clear that this is the Lord's doing. We, we are powerless when it comes to removing sin from ourselves, except it be by the grace of God. Ralph Venning, one of the, the Puritans in his famous book, The Sinfulness of Sin, I would actually recommend that book for you, The Sinfulness of Sin. You can get it even online for, for free on PDF. The Sinfulness of Sin, he makes a point that the infection of sin is almost incurable. And this is what he says. He says, the cure is impossible to us and only possible with God. And that at a costly rate by the blood of Christ himself. This is the very point that Paul makes when he quotes this passage in Romans chapter 4. He, in Romans chapter 4, he's arguing for justification by faith alone. That one is not justified by what they do, but justified by what Christ has done. In other words, in justification, the sinner stands before God as guilty, and God declares them not guilty, because, not because of anything in them, not because of any good works that they have performed or done, but only because of what Christ has accomplished through his death for sinners on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection from the dead. And based on this, and this alone, can the sinner be made right with God. That is why we can sing on top of our lungs, at the top of our lungs, my sin, not in part, oh, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Right? Because we understand that it is the work of God. The, the, the risen David could, could testify with such joy at the forgiveness he experienced is that he knew what the opposite was like. He, he knew what it meant not to be forgiven of sin. He, he knew what it meant to hide uh, and, and the feeling of hiding sin. Which leads us to our second point. The second lesson that leads us to a life of repentance is the burden of unconfessed sin. The burden of unconfessed sin. And we see this in verses 3 and verse 4. <clears throat> John MacArthur says, Nothing is more miserable than the sinning Christian. Nothing is more miserable than the sinning Christian. L listen to what David says. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as, the, as by the heat of summer. After David testified of the blessing of being forgiven, he, he goes on to relate the experience he had when he chose to conceal his sin, when he chose to cover up his sin. We, we see here a man burdened under the, 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 the crushing weight of unconfessed sin. He was no longer the psalm singing, harp playing, dancing David. 
but his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband threw him in the depths of misery. Instead of running to God for mercy, he chose to keep quiet about his sin. He chose to wrap a blanket around his sin. In spite of the fact that God stood ready to forgive and, 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 and the fact that he knew from God's word that what he had done was sin and that he needed to confess his sin, he chose rather to, conf- to, to, to con- conceal it, not to confess it. But God did not let him get away with his sin for a long time. Alan Ross says this. Listen to what Alan Ross says. God is very patient, desiring that his people come to their senses and seek forgiveness. But if they refuse, he has his ways to bring them to that point. David tells us of a time when God chastised him. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. In contrast with verses 1 and 2, we find a different mood here. His life is marked by spiritual depression and agony. This, this, he says, was the consequence of keeping silent about his sin. He, he probably believed that with time, the feeling of, of misery will go away. That the loud voice of his conscience will soon quiet down by, his, by itself. But that was far from the case. Instead, the refusal to repent only led to inward turmoil and misery. He says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. And in verse 4, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. He, he, he felt his bones waste away. An image describing the, the corrosive effects of sin, both physically and spiritually. He, he was drained of energy as one is in the oppressive heat of the Rustenbeck summer. I know what you, you, you can understand, right? His energy was drained. God placed a heat upon him that, that made him uncomfortable when he kept silent. You see, keeping silent about sin is like sitting on a hot stove that has just been switched on. In the first few seconds, it seems like everything is fine. Everything is going well. But then a little while later, you start to feel the heat until the heat is unbearable. And that is what David experienced here. His he silence about his sin led not to, to a heart of peace, but to a soul that was in torment. The, the, the sin that promised joy and life only brought about misery to him and sorrow. And this is not only true of David. Unfortunately, many Christians, when they have fallen into some kind of sin, start to believe the lie that it is better to conceal. It is better to hide it. It is better not to disclose it than to confess. And so they continue as if all is normal, hoping that with time, the feeling of guilt will go away. Right? There's a saying that time heals, but not when it comes to sin. 
Time does not heal sin. Sin will continue to be sin even when you, disclose, when, when you conceal it. But instead of that feeling going away, it intensifies, right? It, it, it increases when you are a true Christian. Last week I spoke about what the, what, the, what the Christians of old used to say. They said that sin will take you further than you want to go, leave you longer than you want to stay, and cost you far more than you want to pay. It was true of David, wasn't it? From being idle on his bed instead of being in the battlefield as a mighty soldier, then allowing his eyes to wander as he gazed upon the naked form of another man's wife, then from there to actually committing adultery with her, leading to the murder of her husband, which all led to an anointed psalmist, spiritually dry and silent under the burden of guilt, which only took the grace of God to remedy. And this shows us that it is God who switches the stove on and increases its heat. David says, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. God has compassion, I mean, God has passion for the holiness of his children. So, so when his children pursue a life opposed to holiness, he lovingly disciplines them. And this is the case with David here. God did not allow him to live a life to the full when he was in rebellion against him. But he afflicted him and didn't give him peace. And I put it to you this morning. It is the kindness of God to afflict us when we are stubbornly clinging to our sins. For in doing so, he leads us to repentance. When God afflicts us when we are in sin, it is because he loves us. It is because he's full of grace and mercy towards us. And we see this, <coughs> that it was necessary in the third point. The, the, the third lesson that motivates us to a life of repentance is the relief in confession. The relief in confession, we see that in verse 5. Listen to what David says. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. That word, Selah, I'm not going to dwell so much on it, but let me explain it like this. It's a, it's a Hebrew word that means pause and calmly think about this. So David calls the, 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 the worshiping community to what, what, what he just said, to, to pause. So I want you to pause and, and think about this very calmly. In seminary, we had a lecturer when, when he said something important and you knew it was going to come out on the exam, he would say, listen with both ears. And, and so you knew that this is very important. Listen with both ears. David would not have gotten any better if he had continued to ignore the main cause of his misery and depression, which was his sin. So he had to come to a realization that it was sin that was keeping him in spiritual depression and confess it to God. 
Verse 5 is the turning point in David's story, in David's life. The moment when he, he was like the, the prodigal son came to his senses. It was when he came to his senses that his life turned differently. Verse 5 answers the question of how does one experience the, the reality described in verse 1 and 2? It is through confession of sin to God. <clears throat> Notice the contrast between verse 3 when he says, when I kept silent, and, and verse 5, I acknowledged and I said. Notice that contrast. It is through exposing his sin through confession that he found forgiveness. The, the consequences of keeping silent were, were a, a heavy hand of God upon him that did not give him peace. And the consequences of confessing his sin was the free offer of forgiveness from God. This echoes the truth of God's word, right? <clears throat> whoever conceals his sin, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. When David was confronted about his sin, he fell down before the Lord and poured out his soul in confession and repentance. Notice the nature of his repentance. He, he keeps nothing back here. He, he names and, and claims his sin using the very same words that he used in verse 1 and 2. He says, my sin, my, my iniquity, my transgressions. He, he exposed his sin in its ugliness and, and he calls it what, he, what it is. He, he did not rationalize it or, or, or paint it with modern redefinitions of sin. He, he does not domesticate his sin by calling it an affair. But he says it is a direct rebellion against God. It is, it is missing the target, the, 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 the target of God's holy standards. It is a perversion before God. It is a disrespect of God. In other words, he grabs his sin by the collar from the dark recesses of his heart and exposes it to the light of God's word. He brings it before God in all its ugliness and lays it bare. Notice the nature of his repentance here in verse 5. It is, first it is made to God. Right? I acknowledge my sin to you. You being God. We need to think this way. Sin is an offense first and foremost to God. It robs God of his glory. In confessing to God, David is agreeing with God that what he did was despising the word of God and doing evil in his sight. Secret remorse or confession with self or intimations of guilt are not confession. Those are not confession. The, the silence must be broken in the presence of the other. The, the, the silence must be broken before God. Right? Look at David here. He's in the presence of a, of, of a, of a, of a worshipping community and he's laying his sin bare. One, one man said, when David called Bathsheba into his bedroom, he whispered into her ear, no one will know about this. 
and many thousand years later, the church knows. God will always expose sin. Sin can never be disclosed forever. There's a point where God will expose it. Secondly, the nature of his sin is that his confession was full and frank. He was not trying to justify or excuse himself. He, he did not gloss over his sin, but he confessed it all. He says, I did not cover it. He, he does not say, I, I could not help myself, or as Woody Allen says, the flesh must have what the flesh wants. He, he does not justify his sin. He, he brings it full and frank before God. Thirdly, his confession is met by the sweet mercies of God's forgiveness. Hallelujah. It is met by, by the sweet mercies of God's forgiveness. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He, he confessed it all and God forgave it all. I was thinking about this sermon even yesterday that David concealed his sin for more than nine months. But when he confessed it all and laid it bare before God, God did not take nine months to forgive him. It was immediate. The, the, the word here that he uses, the word forgave, means to lift away which gives us the picture of removing the terrible crushing weight of guilt. God removed that weight on him. It should remind us of the faithfulness of God to forgive sin. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, when he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As, as the, the, the hymn uh, to God be the glory, that, that glorious line in that hymn says, the vilest offender who truly believes, that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. God's faithfulness and readiness to forgive sin shows us that there is no need to cover up sin. There is no need. We, we have no reason to keep silent and, and conceal it. We, we bear needless pain and forfeit great peace all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. With this in mind, David tells to the worshiping community to encourage them based on God's faithfulness to forgive sin, to throw themselves at the mercies of God, which is our fourth and final lesson that motivates us to a life of repentance. Before we go into this lesson, Think of it this way. Think of it as David is speaking to you personally this morning. Hear his story. See God's faithfulness in his life. See what God has done and how God was quick to forgive him. Point number four, the call to God's people. We see that in verse 6 to 11. Having shown us the, the, the power and blessing of forgiveness... He goes on to, 
to call the people of God to seek the Lord who, who deals graciously with sinners. He, he, he calls the godly. These are the devout people who, who are in covenant with God, who, who desire to love and, and serve the Lord, but, they, but, but they, 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 find, they need to find forgiveness in order to maintain a proper relationship with God. He, he, he encourages them to pray to God in a time when he may be found. This echoes the, the, the words of Isaiah in, in chapter 55, verse 6 to 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon it should be noted here that we are living in a time of grace, right? The, the, doors, the doors of God's mercy are still wide open. And he is calling sinners to himself. There is always room for one more in the presence of God. He is calling us each and every day. His voice tender and sweet saying, come, confess your sin. But the implication of David and God's, David's word here is that there will be a time when the Lord will not be found. There will come a time when the doors are shut and cannot be opened to anyone, no matter how loudly they call from the outside. There will be a time when the doors of mercy are shut. That it doesn't matter how much you grope at the door. It doesn't matter how much you try to open the door. It will not be open for you. There will come a time when we shout out to God, but his ears will be shut. The judgment of the day of judgment is surely coming. And when it has come, there will be no opportunity for repentance. Why would you delay? Why would you delay to come to Christ when tomorrow is not guaranteed? Why would you do that? Psalm 95, verse 7 and 8 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, not tomorrow, today. Such a prayer of, for forgiveness leads to a restoration of intimacy with God and assurance of his protection. He, he addresses to God a personal note of, of confidence in his protective care. He says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. In verse 7. And in, in verse 7, three to four, when he was concealing his sin, he was at enmity with God and the hand of the Lord was heavy upon him. But now teaches that if you cry to God while he may be found, the, he the heavy hand of God turns into the helping hand of God. Now the call to, to repentance is not always heeded, right? Repentance is always being called 
People are always being called to repent, but they never heed the word of repentance. Many hear it, but choose to remain silent and to confess their sins. Let me remind you from God's word here in Psalm 32, 32, in verse 8 and 9, it speaks to that condition, directly to that condition. It, It is written as if God is speaking directly to the individual, promising to instruct to teach, to counsel, and to watch over him. He says, be, lo- be not like the mule or the horse without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. In other words, what David is saying, what God is saying here, he's saying, don't be a hard head. Do not resist the call to repentance. Don't be stubborn. We can be stubborn in our sin and and choose, this is not the sin I must confess. This is the one I'm taking to the grave with me. David is saying, in the spirit of God, don't be a hard head. To resist is to invite trouble. The the, the call is not to to be stupid or or to be stubborn like the horse or, or the mule that must be forced to do something, but to be sensitive to the direction of his spirit and his word, developing a tender conscience. Let me ask you personally, how do you personally respond to God when he calls you to repentance? Do you run to God when you have sinned against him? Or do you run away from him? Do you hide your sin hoping with time it will go away. It will just disappear. It will just deal with itself. Is that your response? If this is you, listen to what verse 10 says. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. In other words, to conceal sin, to refuse to repent, is to choose a life of sorrow. It is to choose a life of misery. Proverbs 13 verse 15 says, the way of transgressors is hard. It is hard. David concludes the psalm by contrasting the wicked who have many sorrows and the righteous who are surrounded by steadfast love. That The righteous are not those who never sin, but are those who are upright in heart, who have confessed their sin to God. They, they owe their righteousness to Jesus because he paid it all, Right? Through his blood, he washed the crimson stain of sin white as snow, and they stand complete before the throne of God. The the, the thought of mercy to sinners causes David to break forth with joy. In the mood of verses 1 and 2, he calls those who have experienced the forgiveness of God to be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let me conclude by by saying this. David is talking about joy here, of being forgiven. I, I wonder if you know this joy this morning. The joy of knowing that your sins are forgiven. The joy of knowing that Christ has paid the penalty for your sins in full by his death on the cross and that through him, 
You have a right standing with God. I wonder if this is a reality for you. If this is true of you, then I call you to testify. Go tell it on the mountains, over the hills and everywhere, that Jesus Christ is Lord and and set the prisoners free. Tell it to your family. Tell it to your neighbor. Tell it to your colleagues. Tell it to your your fellow students. Tell it to the random man or the random woman on the streets. Tell them that Jesus Christ breaks the power of concealed sin. He, He sets the prisoners free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for the sinner. Shout it out until it reaches every ear and pierces every heart. Testify of this gospel birthed joy. Go testify. And if you do not know the joy of being forgiven this morning, let me call you to repent of your sins, to throw yourself at the mercies of God, to disclose your sin to God and to the worshiping community. Why would you pass by this opportunity when God has opened the storehouse of his mercies? It is no use to cover up sins. Do not convince yourself that your sins are too dark to be forgiven. That is the devil's voice speaking to you. There is no sin so dark that the blood of Jesus cannot wash away. Do not say that this is not the right time. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time of God's salvation. Now is the time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The river of God's mercy before you is open this evening, this morning. The price for sin has been paid. Just jump into the river by faith, believing that he has done all that is necessary for your salvation. Come to him, confess to him, lay it bare before him. Amen. Lord, your word is a light that shines in the dark recesses of our heart and exposes all that is there and calls us to yourself. And so with that, hearing that, we understand and know that you are a God who truly loves us and who is gracious and merciful towards us. And so we pray that, Lord, we may be encouraged to draw near to you in confession of sin and repentance, that we may experience that joy that is expressed in this psalm, that it may be our song as well. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.